Welcome to the Mind Money Motion Program, where we focus on worrying less about money by keeping our mind and body healthy. I'm your host, Marie Burns, a certified financial planner, speaker, author, and founder of the education business called Mind Money Motion. My guests will help you improve your mind by maintaining a positive, active brain, your money by learning to use your financial tools wisely, and your motion by incorporating healthy diet and exercise. All so you can enjoy less worry and more life. I want to thank my co-sponsor, the Women's Enterprise Foundation, for helping to make this program possible. The Women's Enterprise Foundation is a 501c3 charitable organization that supports and inspires women business owners. They believe that women are the glue for their communities because they participate in, orchestrate, and mediate relationships, opportunities, and business growth, which is why they offer grants and scholarships to assist women business owners like myself in the Phoenix area. I'm excited today to welcome our First, I have Vicki McAllister. She has worked in healthcare for over 40 years as an administrator in skilled nursing facilities, assisted living manager in numerous settings that have served older adults in community care, retirement communities to senior living apartments, mostly in the Phoenix and Wisconsin areas. So her experience has included rehab, dementia care, home care, and training caregivers. She served in program development here in Phoenix at Banner Health's Banner Alzheimer's Institute. Currently holds a BS degree and is enrolled in an MBA program. And I met Vicki through her capacity as the board chair of the Senior Advocacy Group of Awatuki, also known as SAGA. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you, Bernie. My second guest is Dave Nassani. He is a speaker, radio host, life coach, and best-selling author of the book, It's My Life Too, Reclaim Your Caregiver Sanity. His most important role, though, he shares, is as caregiver to his lovely wife, Charlene. So I'm welcoming both of you here today, partially in honor of November being National Family Caregivers Month. Apparently that started back in 2012, and there are 65 million Americans that are acting in the role of caregivers for families and loved ones. So I think it's an important time to talk about some of the uh, challenges as well as blessings that come with being a caregiver. Dave, I know you're in a caregiver situation, and Vicki has worked with families and caregivers and from a, a training and healthcare industry aspect. So I think we have some great perspectives to share with our listeners today. Dave, I know you have written actually a couple of books, and so oh. I know that that has all stemmed from you becoming a caregiver. So if you want to share with us a little bit about how you became a caregiver. Sure. How long has it been now? 23 years ago, mm -hmm. I became a caregiver to my beautiful wife, Charlene. When she suffered a massive stroke, it left her severely speech-impaired, paralyzed on one side. And in that moment, I became her caregiver. And I didn't even know what a caregiver was. And it was the hardest thing I ever did. The next two and a half years were pretty rough. And we almost broke up because it was, it was just so stressful. But my wife finally started coming around to being her old self again, started treating me nice again, <laughs> going through the grief process. Anger was her favorite uh, emotion. And we, we fell in love again. Uh, we kindled our relationship, reinvented ourselves, 
And now I am the host of the Character with Dave syndicated radio show, heard in all 50 states, 135 countries. And I am a best-selling author, like you said, currently writing my fourth book. I have been on stages such as Harvard, Carnegie Hall, and West Point, sharing the stage with some stars such as Suzanne Summers, Martha Stewart, Ice-T. And I was supposed to be on my 27th radio show today on Good Morning Arizona, but uh, the weather bumped me, so I have to go there later and get it taped so that it'll be aired maybe tomorrow or the next day or when the storm leaves because... I guess Arizona, it's a big deal when it rains here. It is. It is. <laughs> that is how it happened, and that's the story I'm sticking to. Well, you sound like you have absolutely turned lemons into lemonade to be <laughs> reaching out to help others in your capacity with your journey and what you've learned. I know when I read your book, One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, one of the uh, several things struck me, and I'll, I'll bring that back into our conversation later, but uh, one of them was the recognition that, and Vicki can attest to this because she hosts, um, one of the many things she does is she hosts a video series by Dr. Pauline Boss, and it really speaks to uh, caregivers, whether or not the family has dementia or Alzheimer's or otherwise, but there's some caregiver insights. Mm -hmm. And in your book, Dave, you, you shared that it wasn't until about the third year that you, you finally went through enough of the grief process to accept where things were. Yes, it took a long time. Sometimes it seems like it took forever. Sometimes it seemed like it would never end. But finally, when I started getting my wits about me and, and things started acting more normal, uh, we call it the new normal, because we go through grief, you know, first it's the denial, this isn't happening, and then we go through uh, the bargaining, how can I get out of this, and then we go through the uh, anger, you know, I'm so pissed off that this is happening, and then we go through the depression, oh my God, I'm helpless, and, and that's a dangerous place to be because that's where uh, Robin Williams was and Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. We always have to be aware that when we are depressed, we want to separate it just from sadness and see our doctor and perhaps get some uh, antidepressants. And, and before you say, oh, I tried those, they don't work, or I don't want to be on drugs, I don't want to be groggy. Well, they're not really drugs, and like a recreational drug. It's simply something to reestablish the chemical imbalance in the brain so that you act normal again. And then finally, 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 we come to that point where we accept our situation and uh, we call that the new normal. And that's where it, I guess it took about two and a half to three years where we both kind of realized, well, you know what, God, we have, I have strong faith in God and she realized, because most of the problem was her. <laughs> I just needed some crumbs of appreciation, wasn't even getting that. Because she was really, I mean, she lost everything. We had to move in our beautiful dream house because it was two-story. She didn't want to do that. She lost her car. The DMV, you know, took her license away because she had one seizure. Uh, we had a one-year-old granddaughter who no longer wanted to be around grandma because she looked a little strange and different. And, and I mean, she lost everything. And she was grieving and grieving hard. And, you know, the old song by the Mills Brothers, you only hurt the ones you love, the ones you shouldn't hurt at all. 
Uh, well, I was the one getting the brunt of it. But like I said, we came through it. And then I, I suddenly realized that I had made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I, I wrote her this letter that said, you know, Charlene, why are you so mean to me? I mean, uh, it's so hard being your husband, taking care of you 24-7, not getting any crumbs of appreciation. I just don't think I can be with you anymore. I mean, I'll take care of you financially. I just can't be with you. And I looked at that letter and I read it over and over and over again. And I says, how can I give this to my soulmate, to the woman who birthed my children? And, and uh, I, just, I just put it away in a file cabinet and went on in my depression and my anxiety and my loneliness until I suddenly found a business card in my pocket. And I looked at it and I said, what is this? It was inviting me to a caregiver support group. I didn't know what a caregiver was, didn't know what a support group was. But I figured somebody must have given it to me when I was in the hospital, but, and maybe they thought I needed it, so I went. And that's when I learned that there are other caregivers out there just like me, burned out. And the airlines tell us that the event of emergency, put your oxygen mask on first. I had to take care of me before I took care of her. And everything changed. And I became Dave the caregiver's caregiver. And I did all those things that I told you about. And now I just help people not make the same mistakes I made. Oh, I want to come back there. You said a lot in there, but I want to come <laughs> I back said to a lot. <laughs> what Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver does and has available for resources for support out there. But one of the things that when I went through Vicki's class with Dr. Pauline Boss, um, and as you're talking about, you were grieving and she was grieving. You were both grieving yes. loss of different things. And the whole term of uh, ambiguous loss is something that was new to me before I went through uh, Vicki's class. And Vicki, if you can maybe share with our listeners what that is and how normal that is, uh, that, that might be helpful. And I'll just again give credit to Dr. Pauline Boss. She has authored Ambiguous Loss as well as other books inclusive of the one that um, spearheads the Finding, Meaning, and Hope series for family caregivers. Um, ambiguous loss is exactly like you would expect with the word ambiguous. And loss is defined, um, it's unclear, it has no resolution, there's nothing you can do to fix it, it has no predictable ending or closure. And as Dr. Boss talks about in her book and her series that's narrated by her over the 10 weeks, and based on her book again. Um, it's very, very important for people to understand that it's, it's an American um, in a way that we can fix whatever we think we can fix. And, and we're stronger than this thing that's um, in front of us that's so difficult to, to handle. And in fact, it, it, it morphs into family members and friends that begin to criticize the family member that's caring for someone um, that, you know, stiff upper lip, hang in there, are you still grieving? Th things that are just not helpful in any way. And so the ambiguous loss through the 10-week series, that this is my third one starting in February uh, in Ahwatukee at Paco Senior Center, um, but through that 10-week process, by the third week in the third chapter of her book, people are feeling better. They have tools for their toolbox. But we, the thread throughout the whole program is understanding that the ambiguous loss is, is always ongoing, regardless of the number of years you've cared for someone, 
whether this illness just happened, if it's coming to a close, if it's a dementia-related illness, there's no closure. And so by helping families understand that, that in itself helps people find new ways to handle difficulties, find meaning, meaningfulness together, find joy together, cope with the daily struggles as well as illness progression. So again, that's not necessarily simple, but by grounding in some fundamentals, it really helps families move on. And I think the other, the other piece that's really important here is for families to understand is some fundamentals that AARP talks about as well in, in this wonderful booklet that's free that allows families to have access to these booklets by just simply calling and asking for them or finding them at various conferences. But there's just five quick steps without embellishing. Um, it's very, very important for family caregivers to uh, start a conversation about values, preferences versus waiting for a crisis. So many times they're in the crisis. So it, you know, in that respect, understanding and helping through that is is fundamental as well. Forming a team rather than being alone. So Dr. Boss in her book talks about that as psychological loss and or psychological friends and through through loss. But that team can be your friends, family, church, um, and very often is not family members. We expect family members to be there for us, but very often they're not because they're going through their own issues of grief and unresolved feelings, guilt, a number of, of things. So that's really fundamental. Having a plan, and I'm sure all the work that you've done, Dave, in your book, and your series, and your radio, you are helping people begin and form a plan. So kudos to you. You could really embellish on Thank that. You. And the last two, of course, are finding support, which we've already talked about, and caring for yourself, which is everything from balance, enough sleep, <coughs> exercise, maybe a mindfulness or spiritual approach so that you start to see the mind, body, and spirit, and you're looking at the whole person, not all the tasks that you're doing. And a lot of this morphs into caring for family caregivers or helping family caregivers that have dementia as well. And that's another whole hour-long show, right. which we won't get into today. But there's other aspects of that that are generic for any illness, but very, very specialized as well. Well, and I'll just chime in to say that when I went through the video series, um, it was top of mind for me. My mother was caregiving and still is for my father. So the understanding as a family member of the ambiguous loss term, the rec I thought I'm, I'm a pretty empath empathic person. I'm empathetic. I can feel like I'm feeling how the other person is feeling, but that concept did not click until mm -hmm. I learned about the term. My mother was grieving for the loss of her husband as she knew him. She was grieving for the loss of her retirement as she had imagined it. She was grieving for him for the loss of both of those things. So Dave, I can see how you know, you're know you saying your wife was grieving for the loss of her life. She probably loved her life. So that was hugely valuable. So I think the awareness of grieving as a normal part of being a caregiver is important not only for the caregiver to recognize and like you said, accept, but for the family uh, as well. So. 
So we have so much. Can I just add something quickly? Sure, Because you had a real metamorphosis through that 10-week series, Mm -hmm. too, because being so strong and patient and caring for your family as you are, um, you, you, part of you still wanted to fix it or make it better for your mom with the journey or to suggest things right. you know, during your phone calls with her because she was far away right. and only, you know, only present by phone. So I began to see how you let go of some of that too. And those are normal family issues. Mm-hmm. Nothing negative at all about that. Right. When we care and love so deeply, it's hard not to want to make it better for spouses, right? parents. Even though I wasn't the direct caregiver, I was a distant caregiver. Mm-hmm. So Dave, as a direct caregiver, what are some of the most common mistakes caregivers make? Whether you made them or not, you see a lot of caregivers now in your businesses. Sure. And yes, I was going through uh, my own grief process because she may have lost her body, but I lost my wife. Mm-hmm. And that took some adjustment. Didn't re- even realize I was going through a grief process, didn't know anything about it. All I knew is I was in a bad mood, and she was in a bad mood. We were attacking each other constantly and wondered when it would ever stop, if it would ever stop. So there are three big, huge, as Donald Trump would say, mistakes. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, that caregivers make. The first mistake that caregivers make is they don't know how to put their needs first. Now, like I said before, you go on an airplane, and we hear it so many times, we just tune it out. I certainly tune it out. In the event of an emergency, oxygen mask will fall. Put your mask on first before you help your loved one with their mask. Uh, Hello, an amazing metaphor for all of life. Take care of you first, or you can't take care of your loved ones. The second biggest, biggest mistake caregivers make is they don't know how to ask for help. Everyone has a cell phone. Use it, turn it on, punch in your number. Hello, Bob, I need help, grandma's driving me crazy. You know, call your brother, call your sister, call your wife's ex-husband, call anybody, but get over that silly notion. If you can't do it all by yourself, you're a failure as a caregiver. That attitude will kill you. And then of course, the third biggest mistake is the guilt bomb. People allow other people to just heap the guilt on them. I mean, like they were a stack of pancakes. There was a show a long time ago about a caregiver caring for his elderly father in the junk business. It was called Sanford and Son. Remember that one? Yes. Well, Fred Sanford was notorious for guilting his son Lamont into doing all sorts of cockamamie hair brain schemes, and he used guilt and went something like this Oh, oh, it's a big one. No, son, no, it's a big one. Leave I'm coming to meet you, it's a big one. And Lamont would fall for that con every single time. <laughs> and caregivers do also. And it's kind of like being handcuffed to your loved one for the rest of your life in caregiver prison, you know, a prisoner of your own home. That kind of guilt will kill you. Those are the three big ones. Vicki, you're nodding your head. <laughs> yes, and, and the three that he mentioned are just very common and almost everyone that's going through a situation um, in family caregiving is, has experienced that because of them, them being so common. And so common doesn't mean that there's an easy fix either. Again, back to there's no closure or quick fix. Um, I think the other thing that I want to just add to that is that when you help families start to build their own resiliency, as Dr. Balling Boss talks about in her book, Resiliency means that you are personally making wiser choices based on tangible tools that are helpful, such as the 10 chapters, 10, 11 key areas of her book, 
But whatever that is individually for a family member, it's important that you build on that and you learn from that. And sometimes families get discouraged after trying a new tool one time, it doesn't work. Well, it takes 21 days or 30 days to make a new habit. You have to persevere, but they begin to see, like I said, by the third week, that this does work, and I'm making wiser choices for building resiliency. And the statistics are staggering. 66% uh, of all caregivers die before the person with dementia in the family caregiving. So I'm yeah. sure those stats are very similar for any family caregiving. 30% for caregivers in general. In general, I, it sure. It's surprising that 66% for dementia because they drive yes. crazy. Because so, they don't know how to behave, you know, and they yes. don't realize that they can't change them and telling them things like, oh, don't you remember I told you that yesterday? That's right. That only makes things worse. You right. just have to go with the flow, right? right? And kind of agree with them. And and there's so many other aspects of that that could be another hour-long show, but <laughs> there's really 10 key tips that have been perfected through a number of, of leading organizations um, but as you begin to communicate more effectively, and nonverbal communication is an example of that, you're focusing on your non-direct, indirect communication, nonverbal, 80% of that's nonverbal. So mm. if you're smiling mm. and you're slow in your words, you're not highly directive and telling your family member what to do, you're, you're present with them in a way that, that shows um, compassion, they see you smiling with your eyes, they see you face to face instead of hovering over them, telling them what to do, and so a lot of that doesn't just happen the first time you learn how to do that, you begin to practice, but you begin to see that that's an in the moment kind of process that validates and respects them as an adult and a human being. And it's hard for family caregivers when they're really focused on the long list of items that have to get done during the day, the task list, mm -hmm. the, the laundry, the grocery shopping, the, you know, getting dressed, all the things that just are frustrating, tedious, difficult through a disease progression. Um, but some of the other key tips that can help families interact more effectively are also those that help build resiliency and help family members cope. Um, I do want to add one more before we, we go back to Dave here. I think the understanding of a person-centered approach can lead into some of the other things that will be talked about here, but when you're always respecting Bill um, is really their way of communicating how frustrated they are and how difficult this is to manage and um, behaviors, anger, what have you are really also a communication insight as well so you begin to understand best times of the day worst times of the day for that family member that's being cared for and you then also begin to take a look at good comfort care is very often a very wonderful technique that helps the family member and the person that's being cared for so if they're comfortable, they're hydrated with water, um, they're getting to the restroom regularly in a way that's dignified, they're getting sleep, their pain is managed. All of those things promote um, a good atmosphere and good comfort care. And that doesn't mean they don't cycle through the day, 
but you get to begin to understand the best times of the day and the com comfort needs that you know so well. You know your wife so well. You know what those are inside and out, better sure. than your own. Thank you, thank you, Vicky. Those are all really realistic, practical, everyday. Piggyback on. I was that. just gonna say, and Dave, I'm sure has some of his own that he <laughs> shares personally and with his. Uh, Website yes. It's unfortunate that I'm such an expert uh, that I am yeah. because that took a lot of painful experience. Yes. Uh, I had to care also for my mother who had dementia. Uh -huh. My sister okay. shared, thank God, and my mother-in-law as if that was a bad enough. Yeah. Uh, and the different personalities that can come out with dementia yes. are amazing. I mean, my mother was just a wonderful, wonderful, loving, caring, cute teddy bear kind of a, a person with her dementia everybody loved her uh, when she went to the facility and were very sad when she left my mother-in-law on the other hand <laughs> <laughs> why is it always the <laughs> she acted like a witch i mean everything uh, she was in denial about her dementia she would rather believe that somebody's breaking into her house five times a day stealing things hiding things and that just seemed more plausible to her that maybe she had a memory problem. And uh, she would go to the doctors and we would try to uh, get her diagnosed, but she was pretty sharp. She could answer them pretty good and answer the questions pretty good. So whatever kind of dementia she had, it was a tricky one that they just couldn't pin it on her. But she would forget what you told her five seconds uh, after you told her. And uh, she thought that I was trying to steal her house which I had actually bought for her. She thought I was trying to <laughs> kill her. I mean, it just, it was ugly. Wow. And they, they finally both uh, passed away. And I'm, I'm glad that they both did because they didn't want to be here anymore. They were just tired of going through the pain and the, the torture of dementia. And especially my mother-in-law, because the torture was bad enough, but she would torture herself. You know? mm -hmm. And then there was a, uh, a book called The Boundaries, I can't remember the author, that just basically says, you know, dementia people, it's not that they forget who you are, it's that they remember, because so, their memory is going backwards and brain cells are dying, they remember their child maybe as a 12-year-old now, and you don't look like a 12-year-old anymore, so that's why they say, who are you, you know, what are you doing in my house? Because their recollection of you might be a little 12-year-old boy. And they might be able to uh, recognize your voice. One husband would knock on the door and she said, who, who is it? And she says, it's me. She recognized the voice, let him in. And then when she saw this, mm. this overweight, bald uh, guy, uh, she said, you're not my husband. Because she remembered him as a you know, tall, dark, and handsome. And this guy was short, bald, and ugly. Uh, one other thing, we interviewed a guest on my show, uh, a poet. Frances Kakugawa from Hawaii, and now she lives in Northern California. And I can't do justice with her poetry, you'll have to go look her up on the, on the show. But she did a couple of, she did a poem that I think uh, it just brought tears to my and anybody's eyes who heard it. And it was, it was, she's speaking from the heart of someone with dementia or Alzheimer's. She was saying, oh, here comes the tester again. They asked me all these questions. Uh, did you have lunch today? Did Karen come and visit you today? I said, oh, I don't know. Stop asking me questions. Just go away. Oh, here comes someone else. I like them. They read stories to me. They touch me and they, they laugh with me and 
and I like him and it, it's just like I said before you know we try to be logical with these patients and we realize that they you can't be logical with them if they think that their spouse who died 40 years ago is still alive just say oh yes yes you know I, I remember talking to her too I mean you have to placate them otherwise they will get agitated and stressed out and have some moments with them you might have a, a, a 30 second moment with them just laughing about something that happened years and years ago and then they'll be gone they'll forget about it but they'll still be happy about that moment so enjoy those moments and try to encourage those moments so put headphones on them let them listen to swing music if that's their era and I used to do that with my mother and it made her so happy and even when it was over she was happy she didn't know why she was happy but she had a moment that's all I want to say about that. No, that's well said, and you've lived it from I've many it, vantage points. would say. <laughs> Incredible. And I would just add that um, family members can be taught over a period of time how to redirect their loved one when they're angry, paranoid, frustrated, yelling. Um, it, it's not simple or easy, but you're meeting them where they are, and you don't rationalize or reason with them to say no I'm sorry that's wrong you agree with them in a way that isn't a lie and if you're really not lying either if you're just taking them to a place of comfort by changing the subject um, and helping them be more comfortable so learning how to change the subject is not lying you're, you're taking them from a, a conversation that they may be in, in anger or paranoia for example in that moment of paranoia they don't know for some reason they can't get out of that merry-go-round. Mm -hmm. So by you changing the subject or moving them to another chair, which helps them redirect and get into a different frame of mind, you're helping them to be comfortable. So good dementia care is good comfort care, but you're also respectfully meeting them where they are, bringing them to a place of more comfort not you know rationalizing or reasoning with them because that doesn't fix it again we, we want closure but there's no fix and i think the other thing too is the person that is experiencing something that's 40 years ago um that's real to them it was meaningful to them and so if you can help bring them to a place of meaningfulness <coughs> through music or art or something that's more comfortable that really and helps them to feel better. Those are things that really matter and chances are if it's meaningful to them, the choice of music or bringing them in front of a piece of art, um, they can tell you what they like about that picture and you can even see how music affects the brain on an MRI today. So we know music is impactful. So those are strategies. Again, we can talk on and on about strategies, but uh, the family caregiver um, is truly an expert by the time they finish this, this disease process. And we're very fortunate that Dave is here telling us his story, which is equipping other family members to not give up. It's really hopeful. It's a wonderful thing. Don't give up, even when you want to. Is that part of your, if, if I had to ask you to nutshell the, the biggest and best advice you give caregivers on your radio program or a theme that you have a lot of your guests repeating to the caregivers to be sure you're doing this, this, and this. You kind of mentioned the three common mistakes, so I'm assuming there's 
something yes, related I, to I that. I came up with a formula. Everybody loves formulas, right? So I call it my care formula, C-A-R-E. Mm -hmm. So C, communicate with your friends and don't isolate yourself. So many people will just become a hermit and they'll stop taking calls from their friends. After a while, friends stop calling them and now you're all alone. Uh, you're not going to the gym anymore. You're not calling your friend who used to, you know, go uh, get your nails done if you're a woman. <laughs> Some men. Uh, you know, when was the last time you asked a friend out to dinner in a movie? Uh, when, when that happens, you know that you've isolated yourself and that's not healthy. Because now you're accountable to no man or no woman. A, uh, C-A-R-E. A is ask for help and be specific. And uh, like I said before, if you don't ask for help, nobody's going to offer to help. There are things you can do. You can say, hey, the next time you go to the grocery store, I'm out of lettuce and vegetables. Can you pick some up for me? And that will help tremendously. Because that's one of the biggest complaints I get. I've got like 65,000 followers on Facebook and 4,000 on Instagram. And they say stuff like, I got no help. Nobody, you know, my brother, that SOB, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, there are creative ways of asking for help. Don't just say, hey, can you help? Because chances are they'll say, ah, I'm busy. I, I got no money. I got no nothing. But you can say, hey, can you stop by the store tomorrow? No, I can't do it. Well, how about the next day? No, well, how about Friday? Just keep asking them. Uh, and, and even if it's embarrassing and awkward, eventually they've got to say, okay, I can help you out. Well, look, you just got some help. That's one of the things, before you go on to the R, that I know came up in Dr. Pauline Boss's video series and in her book, is to almost take an administrative role. It's not me needing help, it's from an efficiency standpoint, you drive right by the grocery store, can you pick right. up this, this, and this on the way? So you take the guilt off of you and make it more administrative, but ask is the key. Yeah, and for some reason caregivers don't like to ask. I, I don't like to ask for help anyway, even before I was a caregiver, because I don't want to inconvenience people. I don't want to feel indebted to people. You know all the reasons. And I was—I'm a mechanic, auto mechanic. Years ago, I don't—I'm uh, not anymore. But I have, a, I have a gas station. I turned the garage into a mini mart because people don't bring back Twinkies like they do a brake job. <laughs> and so I know how to use a skill saw, and I've used them for years. And I was fixing my drive-through window because I also have an espresso shop. And I just didn't want to ask somebody to hold the other end of this molding that I was cutting. I don't know why you should hold the other end of a long piece of molding. And it got away from me. And I cut my thumb down to the bone and I to the ER. And, and then say, you know, why did you ask for help? I don't know. I'm a caregiver. That's my only excuse. You know? <laughs> and then just two weeks later, I'm, I'm at the gas station trying to lift up this price sign. And I should have asked for help with that. You think I would learn my lesson? And I got it up over my head, and the wind blew it, and it put three stitches in my head, and the ER guy says, oh, you're back, what did you do this time? You know? <laughs> and you would think I would learn my lesson, but then I was cutting some, some dead limbs from my yard on a 45 slope, and I fell, and I hit this, this stem, this limb, and I fractured my tailbone. Oh, and so uh, I, I'm still learning, and I'm... I'm the caregiver's caregiver. I'm the expert. And even I can't uh, not ask for help. Or uh, maybe I said that wrong. So, C-A-R-E. Eat healthy, nutritious foods. Don't eat junk food. Junk food's got sugar and chemicals and processed ingredients. All that stuff will kill you. Now, I've, I'm on a keto diet. I've been on a keto diet now for almost two weeks. I've lost 10 pounds. 
And I love pizza. I love bread. I can eat like five or six hundred or a thousand uh, mill. What do they call them? Uh, uh, however, they measure carbs. Calories. Grams. Grams. Yeah, so I can. Grams. I can easily eat a thousand grams of carbs, no problem. And so I thought this would be difficult, but I got good news. It says you can eat everything else, all the bacon you want, all the protein you want. And I said, Oh, I'm going to try it. You know what? I've been doing it for almost two weeks, and I don't miss bread. I don't miss pizza because I'm eating all this other stuff, and I've lost over ten pounds. Wow! And that's a pretty good deal because I've been trying to get rid of twelve pounds for a long time. It's just so hard. It's right there in my belly. But keto, I recommend keto for everybody, and you don't have to do it forever. And you can cheat one day if you, you know, if you're at the pizza parlor and everybody's. Buying your pizza, go ahead and eat the pizza, and then go back on the wagon the next day. So that's my care formula, and it seems to work uh, for caregivers. No, I missed the R. Oh, I think I did miss the R. <laughs> See, I can't spell either. R, rest. Caregivers need Thank eight you. hours rest every single night. Mm. The average caregiver gets only two or three. Mm. Now, I can't survive on two or three hours, I can't survive on six hours. So I don't know how they do it, but they just keep doing it day after day. I just did a meeting in uh, San Diego. I was on TV down there, and I did a uh, book signing and a, uh, a talk. And one of the people said that uh, they have to get up every two hours to turn their father over, or he'll get bed sores. I says, "How long have you been doing this?" She goes, "A year." I says, "You've been getting interrupted sleep for two hours at a time for a year." They said, "Yes." I says, "Well, that's why you look like hell." I didn't really say that, but she did look like that. <laughs> And I told her, listen, there comes a point in caregiving where you have to realize, you know, these promises, these crazy, stupid promises we make to our loved ones. I will never put you in a nursing home where they make you make that promise. And after a while, that promise will kill you because when, you, when your loved one reaches a point that they need 24-hour care, you can't do it or you will die. It's as simple as that. So I told her, you're not going to like what I have to say. I says, you need to start looking for a facility. Your dad needs to go in a 24-hour dementia facility because you can't do it. And, you know, do whatever it takes. Sell the house, get the assets out of his name, get him to qualify for Medicare. I think there's a two-year waiting period. But in the meantime, you got to get him somewhere because you have to get your sleep or you're going to die. She was like 100 pounds overweight. You know, I don't know if she was 100 pounds overweight before she became a caregiver, but that's so common. Caregivers just not taking care of their bodies, not sleeping right, not eating right, and they're, they're dying, they're killing themselves. I mean, it's a slow torture. They should just take a gun and, and end it all quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a thought about the additional R under, under your acronym <laughs> is respite. Oh, uh, that's So a good it one. is a form of rest for the family member. And a respite often helps a family member begin to take a step for an eight-hour break. And a couple of organizations, uh, ArizonaCaregiver.org, uh, Arizona Coalition, a number of agencies that you know can be there to provide a reasonable respite caregiver rate of pay to allow you to have eight hours for a respite break. But pretty soon what starts to happen is they go, that eight hours, if I could have that once a week, I would begin to do some more things for myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, whatever it means for them that's meaningful, they'll begin to do it. 
but it's also a, a very constructive habit. And the other thing too that helps family members, because not all, not all transitions to a higher level of care are necessary as early as they are, even though they're very helpful. If you can help them at the earlier stages of the disease, deal with respite and rest and balance and memory cafes now are, are very, very positive and favorable. And that brings the family member that's caring for someone to also bring the person with the disease, the dementia, to a memory cafe. And it provides two hours, three hours, depending on when, when it starts with socialization and moves into a programmatic, programmatic support. I, I lead one every Monday. Uh, for dementia participants, but it's a strategy that helps people deal with these issues earlier in the game, which is also important for family members that are dealing with stroke, cancer, mm -hmm. and other medical only, medical comorbidities only. So you do have to understand how important it is to provide support for families, family caregivers, but some of the techniques um, such as Dr. Pauline Boss's book, but respite in them. So many agencies have so many helpful books, mm -hmm. and you just need to get started with one of them. And fortunately, AARP's booklet is just yeah. Can you give very, us the very name easy? Of that? Yes, so AARP's Prepare to Care: A Planning Guide for Families, and they're free. And you can call their 800 number or online. be able to go online. <laughs> and they just recently sent through a very wonderful AARP pamphlet which says AARP is making a difference for family caregivers in Arizona. Arizona boosts aid for family caregivers starting in January 2020. So I don't want to take away their ability to tell this story, but it's it really is giving them some financial sure. support good, good. and helping them begin to look at you know more constructive right. solutions for them. And and they definitely are a real leader. And how about, initiative. how about um, the title of um, Dr. Voss's book? I mean, Dave, I want to ask about one of your four, anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, someone who has dementia, Pauline Boss, PhD. Again, she's been a, a therapist, family therapist, 45 years. And it, then the tagline underneath it says, How to Find Hope While Coping with Stress and Grief. But her book on ambiguous loss crosses over many disease. Mm -hmm. Disease. You know, I could change my acronym to CARER, which is what there. they call uh, care receivers. In, so there you go. In England, you can get respite in right? And you'll so say that it happened in Phoenix, Arizona, won't you? There you go. Radio show. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're talking about books, Dave, which one of the four? would you say is a good starting place maybe for caregivers? Well, my first book, One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, is my memoir. So if you want to know, you know who I am and what I've been through and how I survived, because some people won't listen to what you have to say until they know who you are, yes, right? Yes, true. And so if you want to know my story to see if I'm worth listening to, then get that book. And these are all on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and I understand uh, my third book, which is uh, It's My Life Too, Reclaim Your Caregiver Sanity by Learning When to Say Yes and When to Say No. I took a long time writing that one. That one is specifically for caregivers to learn how to stay alive. So that's that's the one that would give them the, the best how-to information, very practical, 
what they can do. There's exercises in there. There's graphs and tables and things that they can uh, just immediately do. And that's now available, I understand, at Target, which I'm very proud of. The second book is simply a fun book about my gas station because uh, I've had a gas station for 40 years and everyone wants to ask me the same questions over and over again. And so I just wrote a book <laughs> answering all those questions. And now when they ask me, I say, read the book. It's called Getting Hosed, Secrets, Confessions, and Tales of a Gas Station Owner. And so now I'm writing my fourth book, which is, uh, editing it now, 90, uh, what is it called? Days Hammock Wisdom, 99 Lessons Learned in Living Life. And you see, I have this, I was born with wisdom, I guess, some people say, because I'm so wise, and I, so I'm told. You know? <laughs> and then I've, even as a teenager, I would give all of my friends advice on how to get the girl, you know, and how to uh, pass that test, or they're in trouble, how to get out of trouble. And so I have coached people all my life, and I've counseled people all my life, and I'm a marriage counselor uh, through our church. And I figured, I every time I'm on my hammock, I get this wisdom very strongly. And so I will uh, lay down on my hammock, I solve my problems, the world's problems, my friends' problems. And, and so I started this video series, Five Minutes of Dave's Hammock Wisdom, which is very popular. I do Facebook Live and it's on YouTube. But then I realized that not everybody has Facebook Live and not everybody has YouTube. So I translated, I, no, I transpose, what's the word? Uh, I think that's the word the uh, videos into a book and that's why I call it uh, Dave Santa Cruz and that is currently going I, I'm trying to make the book not just for caregivers but for the general public as well but it is definitely for caregivers but there are so many things that we've talked about today that are good for everybody right I mean everything yes. I just said about eating right sleeping right etc and burnout Balance. everybody burns out they burn out with their job they burn out with their with their wife, they're burnt out with the kids, you know, you don't have to be a caregiver to experience burnout. So I, I'm expanding my audience with this new book, uh, Dave's Hammock Wisdom, and uh, that will just take me so long to write and edit. And, uh, you know, there's so many things on my plate. I try to get one chapter done every single day. I'm on chapter 71. These are tiny chapters, so don't get worried about uh, 99 <laughs> chapters. No, they're 99 little mini lessons that take about five minutes to speak. Uh, they were transposed. And uh, I'm, I've given myself a deadline the end of the year. And so maybe another three months uh, to publish it after that. So I, let's talk about March. It should be out. And then we'll do the pre-sales. And, and that'll be a great book as well. Awesome, awesome. Well, in the last 10 minutes of every program, I like to recap reflecting basically some of the three key things that I have learned as we were discussing to help our listeners kind of pick out some things that maybe they want to explore further or take action on uh, and then invite you to add to what I'm, I'm sharing as well as how can our listeners learn more about you find more about your resources reach you contact you if that's uh, something that they feel compelled to do as well. So, um, Vicki, I'll start with you with um, some of the conversation in the last hour. I think the whole re recognition that there is no closure, this whole ambiguous loss aspect of being a caregiver, I, I know I did not want to accept that fact mm -hmm. when I first learned about that. 
but being aware of it helps you cope going forward. So that, uh, I thank you for bringing those two resources, the Prepare to Care from ARP book, as well as Dr. Pauline Boss's Loving Someone Who Has Dementia, or her book on ambiguous loss. I think both of those, all three of those, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> would be great resources for our listeners. The second takeaway for me has been the, the team concept. You know, it's like you're saying, Dave, you gotta ask. Don't be afraid to ask because no one is Wonder Woman or Superman and can do it all and stay healthy in the process. So not just friends and family though, you mentioned church and Dave, you mentioned support groups. So recognizing that that's normal and healthy to have a team and not try to do it all yourself. And lastly, segues into that probably is the whole self-care. Whether it's sleep or mindset or spirituality or nutrition or physical activity and fitness, it feels selfish and backwards, it's, it, but it's the whole old cliche, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mm-hmm. It's because if mama ain't here, she ain't taking care of you, so <laughs> you need to take care of yourself. So as hard as that is to swallow, that's uh, a huge number one, and I think you both reiterated that. So Vicki, anything to add to that, and then please share with us more about uh, other resources or, or contacting yourself? I would just like to add uh, a couple of other two things. Um, in my role as a case manager at Y-Opus, at YMC in Ahwatukee, um I see new clients living in their homes and work with families in that process and typically get five or six calls a month for really difficult situations that they need either resources, um, someone that'll listen, or maybe give them a um, one step in the right direction if they're stuck in and not knowing how to make the next steps um, and so as a case manager you're not you're not telling them what to do but you're facilitating a process where they're still making their choices healthy choices balanced choices giving themselves an opportunity for friends and family to help etc cetera, etc cetera, everything we talked about today but I think realizing that so many people at home are coping with these issues for family members, but also there's a really en- enormous um, issue here, which is homebound, isolated, and lonely um, seniors. And we talked about it on the Saga Show, Senior Advocacy Group of Aotuki last week. But I think those few statistics there really help us also use those to help others see that this trend is growing. And if we can begin to um, understand the risks for homebound, isolated, and lonely seniors and family members maybe that are no longer caring for a loved one, but they're very exhausted from from a process, 71, excuse me, 51% of persons 75 years of age and older are living alone. So that, that places them at risk. Um, 17% of older adults are isolated, and these are AARP statistics, not my own. And 6 million people 65 and older have a disability that prevents them from leaving their homes without help. And then the whole issue of transportation, which is isolating if they're no longer able to drive. And 43% rely on friends and family to transport them, or 
41% public transit, but there's a huge number of people that no longer have anybody to help them drive mm -hmm. to medical appointments or grocery shopping or what have you. And so Wyopus provides 100 transportation visits a week to help people yeah. get them from home to a grocery store, a doctor appointment, mm -hmm. or something else really important. But why that matters is so many of us in our neighborhoods, we don't even realize a neighbor two doors from away from us that's isolated or is no longer engaged with the community. They may have one of these three or four key risk factors that are contributing to their demise. Um, and I think, so just awareness yeah. for what family members like Dave talked about are dealing with, um, and also a managerial approach, administrative approach to begin to, to understand you have to have balance in your life to survive and to help your loved ones but you can also be more aware of what's going on in your neighborhoods, in your community. So that's why Saga's helping Nautuki. Sure. Yep. Not trying to help um, Sun City right. or other communities or sure. even Chandler. We're helping our own community. So community is community is community. Mm -hmm. And that matters to that group of people that you know and love and you can make a difference on. Right. Thank you for bringing that. That answers up. that. Yes. Those two things, I think, are very important. Awesome. As it feeds into some of the things that Dave talked about today and, right. and I talked about in the areas of family caregiver support. And how about a best way to reach you if, if people wanted to I think they you? should go through you, Marie. Mm -hmm. But that being said, they can certainly sure. email me through the, the Saga, saga and uh, Wyopus case manager email. Okay, Dave, I know... Um, so many takeaways, it's hard to boil things down to three, but that whole new normal, accepting the situation and then recognizing that grieving is part of that. Uh, your three mistakes, not putting ourself or our own needs first, not asking for help, and then feeling guilt. And then your, um, your care-er tips, be sure we're communicating, asking for help, resting, eating healthy, and reaching out for respite. So. Yeah, that covers it. I thought of a couple more things that uh, we should have talked about is that uh, uh, there was a study done by AARP, 50% uh, of all caregivers at one time have felt within, two, in, within the last two weeks of the survey uh, down, depressed, and hopeless, which are the same uh, symptoms that any suicidal person mm -hmm. has had. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is uh, a huge number of caregivers who have thought about committing suicide. And the other thing is that there's six million caregiver children ages eight to 18 that are actively doing this and they're not covered by, you know, labor laws where they need uh, getting any breaks or, or uh, you know, lunch breaks or anything like that. All they know is, you know, grandma needs care, I have to go to work, you're watching him stay home from school today. And that goes on a lot. Uh, my website, which is my one place to go to learn everything about me, is caregiverdave.com. In fact, just Google caregiver and Dave, and everything about us will come up, all our videos, all our articles, blogs, you name it, it's all there. It's a membership website for a low monthly fee. You get access to everything, years and years and years of, of stuff. And I will even offer a one-hour coaching session for every new member that joins. And there's a lot of free stuff on there as well. Um, I think my first book is free. Go to caregiverdave.com. Awesome. Thank you. And I did neglect to um, add this text or this small pamphlet, Caring for an Older Adult, a Practical Guide. 
and this is through the Area Agency on Aging, Region 1 on Thomas Road, and they also have a 24-hour helpline, but many federal three and federal programs and National Institute of Health, I have a number of those periodicals here, um, are, are well done and easy to read and have websites and resources that we're familiar with and not so familiar with, so it really helps families and they're a wonderful organization as well. I think once you start reaching out, no matter what topic it is, but especially with caregivers, you learn about another one and it becomes a snowball, another resource, another person, another organization, another group. So to Dave's point, you, you just have to start by asking. All right, well, thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you listening to this episode of Mind, Money, Motion, where we share how to worry less about money by taking care of our mind and body. You can visit us at mindmoneymotion.com or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time for Less Worry, More Life. I'm Marie Burns. Thank you, Marie.